Hello, um, my name is Carrie Nelson. Uh, my wife, Anna, and I uh, joined the church in March this year, and we're very grateful to have found this place. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful place to worship. Uh, I'll be uh, reading our passage for today. We're in the book of Malachi, chapter 2, verse 17 through 3, 5. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Go ahead and be seated. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Now, in case you forgot, some of you that saw some of that wet stuff this morning, they call that rain. <laughs> I guess that was really kind of a sprinkle, right? It really wasn't a rain, but uh, at least what I saw. But I hopefully we'll get, get some more before long. Uh, kind of nice, kind of seeing all of our grass turn brown or black or just dirt now in some places, right? Uh, it's Texas. I've, I... Uh, wasn't born in Texas and, and all, but after being here since, I guess, 98, uh, have learned to kind of endure the summers. And sometimes I wonder, uh, in summers like this, where we keep having all these, like, what was it, 40-some days without rain or something like that, I keep wondering, oh, Lord, why did I end up here, right? You know, it's in these, in these times. But uh, the rest of the year, I love it. It's, I don't miss the snow and all of that anymore. Um, so it's great. Last week we ended up uh, uh, with our uh, Find Your Place. I hope last week you were able to find a place. Uh, I believe one of the main ingredients to spiritual growth and, and learning how to follow Jesus is our involvement within the body of Christ. That it's not just that we come and that we're receiving, and there's times when we go through seasons where that's the case, but it isn't just that we come and that we receive. We not only receive, but we, we give. And the way we do that is by getting engaged. And I promise you some of the best relationships you will ever build within the church is as you serve with other people within the body of Christ in, in your church. And so if you didn't, if you'd missed out the last couple of weeks because you were out and you're like, hey, you know, I'm, still, I'm interested. I love to find a place. You can still go to the central hub and they can help you with some of the things that are going on ministry-wise. And so I would encourage you to do that. Also, uh, some of you may have been uh, attending a while and 
kind of wanting to know more about Mansfield Bible Church, we have Discover NBC that's coming up on the, I think the 24th of this month, is that correct? Yeah. And uh, I'd encourage you to consider that. If you've been wondering, like, uh, what is Mansfield Bible about? What are some of the more integral ways of we do things around here? That'd be a great place to start. You have an opportunity to join the church. Uh, you don't necessarily have to go to, to, to uh, be, well, you don't have to go and be a member. You can go just to learn, but you have the opportunity to join as well. So this morning, we're again, we're going to be in the book of Malachi. I hope you have enjoyed the study uh, as we've gone through this time. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that I've done a study that has so profoundly impacted me in so many different ways and challenged me in different ways, challenged me in the, in the process of study, but also in the process of what God is saying to his people here. And so much of it, I find, even though he's writing to these people that were in the old covenant and he was writing to Israel, but so much applies to where we are today. Because when you talk about Malachi, you're talking about a book whereby God is dealing with the hearts of his people. He's dealing with the condition of the heart. And in a day and an age when we have so many things that are pulling us apart, last week we talked about the vertical. You're going to hear a little bit more of that as compared to the horizontal. And so much of the reality of the things that we see going on horizontally is literally a result of a poor connection or relationship with our God vertically. And Malachi is going to continue that this week. Uh, he's challenged the priest. He's challenged, challenged the spiritual leaders. He's challenged us as each of us are, uh, are a part of the priesthood of believers, right? And God continues just to, to confront and to deal with his people. And sometimes when we see confrontation, we see it as a negative. And God confronts because he loves us. He doesn't want us to continue in our ways and to follow after our own likings and our own ways, but to follow after him. That the more that we look on, on, the, on Christ, the more we become like Christ. The more that we follow after him, the more we begin to understand his ways. And all of a sudden, our ways are following after him. And when he has our hearts, and we talked about that in this book, when he has our hearts, he has all of us. That when we're abiding in Christ, his words are abiding in us. And then God has his way in our lives. So that when we walk, as we speak, as we do, we reflect him. And the, and the, and the children of Israel in this, in this book, in the book of Malachi, they had gone in the wrong direction. It was a wake-up call to God's people. They had returned from bondage, uh, but they hadn't returned back to their God. They, they built a wall, they built a temple, they built their homes, they opened up their marketplace, they began to do trade, they even restored worship, but they hadn't returned to God. They were going through the motions, and even though God demonstrated his love towards them, they had turned against him. And time and time again, their actions exposed their hearts. They had been going through all the motions but their, their sacrifices disgraced the Father. They did not honor his name. We've seen that. They did not have an awe or a fear of the Lord. Though God is the great king, he says, though I am the great king, where is my honor? Where is my honor? Because their hearts have been led away and they forgot who they were as God's chosen 
people, his peculiar people in the old King James, God's very own chosen people. They had a unique and blessed position as the people of God. And yet we find them in this text today accusing God, even delighting, accusing God of delighting even in evil. How can that be that God's people would get to that place? So let's pray. Father, um, as we open up your word, we understand that, Father, as we look into it, we understand that, Father, we are a people that need you to instruct us, that your Holy Spirit would move among us, enlighten us, help us to understand the truths of your word, that, Father, our hearts might be changed, that our, that our lives might be more and more reflection of who you are in us, that, Father, we would be a people that do not walk in darkness, but walk in the light of the truth of your word. That we find, Father, in your word, those words that are, that are blessing and hope, they're refreshing in a world at times that seems so chaotic, yet we find peace and we find hope and we find comfort. So God, speak to us today. And Father, as I always ask, just go past all of my own sins, my own iniquities, my own shortcomings. And speak to us, your people, that we might glorify you and lift you up. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's get into the text. In chapter 2, verse 17, as Kerry read it for us so well, he says, You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, How have we wearied him? By saying, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them, or by asking, Where is the justice where, it, where is the God of justice? You know, in verse 17, we realize they're not happy. And the question is, is they're asking, where is God's justice? In fact, to the place with that, they begin to see, and they see somebody who's doing evil. They see the person who ignores the orphan. They see the person who, who, who treats the poor in a horrible way for their own self-gain. They see the lies. They're cheating on their wives. There's so much going on within this culture and they seem to be going, getting ahead in life. They seem like, hey man, they're blessed and they seem to be having it all and yet I see it over here, I see the poor and man, they just, they just don't have any relief. Well, where is the God of justice? In fact, to the point where they would say, they would say God must delight in those who do evil. I didn't even really want to say that. I wanted to step back in case God brought down lightning, right? Who is my God? My God's full of mercy and grace. My God is a compassionate God from everlasting to everlasting, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And yet they ask this question, where is the God of justice? Doesn't he, doesn't he see? Doesn't he care? Why, why does injustice seem to run so rampant? And why do the greedy seem to prosper and the selfish and the arrogant have no, fear of, have no fear of God and they seem to fly by. Where is the justice? God, where is it? Is it true? Do you delight in the woes who do evil in the sight of the Lord? I mean, they're getting ahead. They seem blessed. I guess God doesn't care. Or maybe he can't stop it. 
There have been times where we all have those kind of moments of honesty with ourselves where you go, well, Lord, why does this happen? Why does this seem to take place? But I've often found in my life, moments of honesty don't always lead me to the truth. Moments of honesty doesn't always lead me to the place where I understand what is really going on. There have been times where I've questioned my kids over different things they were doing and, and convinced what, where they were at and, and kind of finding myself like, uh, only to find out I was completely wrong. And yet God says here in this text, he says, I've wearied by your words. The Lord is wearied by what they're saying and what they've came to him. I was trying to think about this idea of wearied. Is it, is it that God is growing tired? But, but that's not the case. He's just kind of grown weary of their words. It's not phys- the physical aspect, but it's the accusations that they bring. That he's kind of grown weary. I, I was trying to think about this. The only thing I could think of is that we had a cat that went into heat. Have you ever had a cat? I'm not a cat person, so I'm not really crazy about cats. But when they do, they, man, they just... Wah, wah, wah. We had this one one time, and there's only been a couple that we've been around, but this, we had this one one time that started doing that right outside my door in the middle of the night, you know? So I thought, well, and we, just, we hadn't had him long, or it was a female, but we hadn't had her long. And I'm thinking, well, I'll just go put her in the living room and leave us alone, right? And I go back to bed, and it wasn't even a couple minutes, right outside the door. So then I picked up the cat, went out the back door, threw it out the back door, shut the door, and we never saw the cat again. Try to explain that to your kids, you know? But I didn't really care, to be honest with you. I was, I was wearied. Totally. And the issue that's going on here, God says, hey, I'm wearied by your words because this was a reflection of their hearts. I mean, doesn't God want to hear from us? I believe that. Doesn't he want us calling out to him? Doesn't he want us to to seek him and to knock and to ask? God never grows weary of a heart that calls out to him, that seeks him, that asks, that knocks. He never grows tired of that. But what's going on in this passage is Malachi is calling them out for the false things that they were saying about who God is. They accuse God of liking evil. Do you understand how horrible that is? Because the God I serve is a holy God. From everlasting to everlasting, the King of kings, he is pure and holy. How would he ever love evil? The God I know will deal with evil. They were the chosen people of God, but they were going through the motions of having this appearance of godliness but denying the power thereof. How do I know that? Look at the sacrifices they brought. We looked at those passages. Look how they brought blemished animals to the sacrifice. Even God said you could bring them to the governor and he wouldn't accept them, but you bring them to me. And yet they accuse God of delighting in evil. They weren't asking God. They weren't seeking God. They were accusing God, and there's a difference. God says, you have wearied me 
with your words. We ask, where is justice? But he isn't answering. And we're going to see in the rest of this passage that God is going to answer the accusation. Judgment is coming, and they are asking for the God of justice. Well, you know what? They better get ready. Israel, get ready, because here it comes. Look in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Let me read down, because a couple of these things are going to be really important to understand. Verse 1. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. So the first thing we see is that he says, my messenger. Now we know that the name Malachi literally means my messenger. But what he's talking about here isn't the writer of this book. He's talking about somebody else. So who is this messenger? So let's look and we'll have it up on the screen. Matthew 11, verses 7 through 10. It says, as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. Who, John who? Who's he talking about? Does anybody know? John who? John the Baptist. I, thank you. I'm one of the youth over here. John the Baptist. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in a king's house. What then did you go to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your, the, your way before you. So who's he talking about? He's talking about John the Baptist here, his messenger who will prepare the way and set the stage. In fact, we even see a little bit in Matthew chapter 3. It says in those days, verses 1 and 2, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's preparing the way. He's setting the stage. And later on down in verse 7 and 10 of that same chapter, he says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming into him, to his baptism, he said to them, you brew of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He's warning them. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Understand this. Now he's bringing out, saying, hey, bear fruit. Bear what kind of fruit? That keeps within repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Because they would think because Abraham was their father, they would be blessed and they would get all of these things. And, and they didn't have a heart of repentance. They weren't much different than what was going on in Malachi, where they were, they were making assumptions about God because they were God's chosen people. Therefore, they were blessed. Even though we act this way, we're still the blessed people of God. And what John the Baptist says, we, we, when he says, don't say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Isn't that amazing? Think about what he just said. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, 
that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You think having a heart of repentance is important? And what he's talking about here, and John is talking about, and what he's dealing with here in Malachi, is he's talking about the condition and the attitude of the heart. Remember, we've looked at this in Malachi, right? Where they said, well, God's, you know, God, how have you loved us? And God says, I love you. Why? Because I chose you. You're my people. And then God turns around and he says, well, how have you loved me? Where is my honor? Where is the fear of the Lord? Where is the awe? I am the great king. Where is my honor? And he deals with the priest, remember? He talked to them about their hearts and the people of God and their hearts. He wants their hearts. Why? Because if he has their hearts, he has them. We don't need more in our churches today of people who just give a kind of a voice to God. We need people whose hearts are sold out to God. We need a people that are God's people set aside for him to do what he wants to do in this world. Not a people who come together and, and determine, well, what we're going to do for God, but we want to hear God because we're a people of prayer. We want to know God, what God says because we're a people of the word. And we study the word. We don't just take it lightly. This is God's truth. This is how God is speaking to us that we might know truth. And we want to incorporate it in our lives and we give him our hearts that as we abide in Christ, his words abide in us and he uses us for his glory. You're never going to be, you're never going to be glory to God just because one day I'm going to be glorying to God. I need God to use me, transform me, that I might be more like his son, that God might be glorified. He's talking about the condition of the heart. Where's your heart at today, dear people of God? Don't forget who you are. There's one thing I hope when God, by his grace, and he doesn't come first, that if I go to be with him and you guys are, happen to still be around, I hope you remember this one thing that I say often. Don't forget who you are. You are God's people. If you've received Christ into your life and, and you've received the grace of God through salvation that's only found in Christ alone through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, you belong to him. You are his people. And we need to live and act as his people and walk in his ways. So we see the first messenger here is John the Baptist. Then he says this. He says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, who, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Now, who's this messenger of the covenant? He's different than my messenger. This is a, a second messenger. So who is it? I have a slide up here on that as well. There's a few things we know from the passage down here that we've read already is that who is this second messenger? He, he has his way prepared by John the Baptist. We know that. His presence causes people to not be able to stand. I'm always amazed. Have you ever noticed that when people come face to face with God, what do they do? Right? Wow. You know, I can't wait till that day. Can you? When God comes in all of his glory and Jesus comes and every knee bows, every tongue confess, and we're on our faces. What a great and glorious day that will be. His hands cleanse and purify, and with his actions, he is going to purify. There's going to be a lot of that within this text. 
his actions result in pure worship to God because of his work. There's a pure worship that rises to God. So who is this? It's Jesus. It's the Son of God, that he would be the one who would come and purify a people. When he says, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. He's going to purify. That's what it tells us in verse 2. Verse 3, it tells us he actually goes to Levi. And you're like, wait a second, Levi, wait a second. What about all these other injustices, God? Why are you coming to the, really the core of our beef, belief of who we are as a people? You're going to start here? What about all of those, what about all those other people? You know those ones who have said those things against me? Those ones that have done horrible things against me? Every one of us in this room has a list of them, by the way. Because we've all had injustices against us. And we've all been unjust to others. And the reality is that God's saying, hey, I'm coming, I'm going I'm to purify, I'm going I'm to deal with my people. And then when you talk about refining, you're talking about the process of heating something up until it separates the impurities from the purity. I watched my dad do that when as a plumber, he, was, uh, he had to use lead. This kind of dates me a little bit. They don't do that anymore because we found out lead's not safe in our water, right? But that's how they used to plumb, you know? And I would watch my dad heat that lead up and all those impurities come and he'd scrape off the, off the top of it to get down to the purity of the, of the lead. Fuller soap is what they use to clean clothes. It's a process of cleaning, purifying and cleaning. It's a, it, there's a lot of work in that process. And the call for justice is he's coming. He's coming to purify a people. This is why we're here today, right? That God has a message for us, a message not for somebody else. We like to kind of point at somebody else, but God has a message for us. You see, we get so busy in that horizontal injustice and calling out injustice horizontally. And that's what the Israelites were doing. They were calling out that, but God's like, yeah, you know what? I'm coming, but not in the way that you think. You see the injustice that needs to be addressed before the horizontal injustice is the vertical injustice. It's between me and you. It's not the horizontal, but the vertical with God that needs to be addressed. I think of David. David's always been one of those Bible characters that I've spent time looking at and always amazed at some of the things and how God worked in his life. But the more that God has allowed me to look at him and see what, what God sees, I, I've been amazed at some of his, his comments in life. One is in Psalm 51, when he says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You know, in the context of Psalm 51, you have David, you know, is coming, being front, confronted by Nathan. Nathan, you're the man gives that illustration of the one who would take the little lamb from a poor person. And David says, you're it. Why? Because David had slept with Bathsheba. And she was married. There's an injustice. Then he had her husband, Uriah the Hittite, murdered. That's an injustice. David committed sin against Israel. That's injustice. And these are all horizontal injustices. 
But what David realized and what you and I need to realize today is the greatest injustice is against God. D.A. Carson said, at the most profound level, whenever we sin, God is always the most offended party. When I read that, that just struck my heart. Isn't that true? Everything, every time I've, you know, I said it last week and when we were looking at marriage, before I could ever, ever be unfaithful to my wife, I first have to be unfaithful to my God. But the reality is any sin, any horizontal injustice, before that happens, I really, I really, I really am sinning against God. He's the most offended party. Where is the God of justice? He's coming. He sent his son. He's here. He's cleaning and cleansing and purifying to deal with the impurities of our lives. It's often in the difficulties of trials and the hardships that we find ourselves where we're making those crossroad decisions in life. Like who are we going to follow and who are we going to believe? Every time I've gone through the hardest times of my life, I've always come out on that other side knowing God in a very special way and finding myself growing in Christ in a way that I never would have thought. God often deals with his people that way. We see him going in bondage. Why? To set them apart, to call them back to himself. They began to, to, to marry the daughters of foreign gods. Remember that? We talked about that. And, and, they, and they, they became infatuated with the gods of other gods and other things. And God's calling them back to himself. And often in those difficulties, in that fire, in that cleansing, and that fuller soap, it doesn't come to punish us, but it calls, comes to purify us. The fire doesn't consume us, but it purifies us. I think J.I. Packer, I love one of his quotes in, in addressing this. He said, still he, God, blesses those whom he sets his love in a way that humbles them so that all glory may be God's alone or his alone. Still he hates the sins of his people and uses all kinds of inward and outward pains and griefs to wean their hearts from compromise and disobedience. Still, he seeks the fellowship of his people. Now listen to this. And sends them both sorrows and joys in order to detach their love from other things and to attach it to himself. God lights the fire and he pulls out the fuller soap to detach us from the things that so much we find ourselves in love with in order that we let go of them and we set our hearts on him. You see, when we understand that, then James makes sense, doesn't it? In chapter one, verses two through four. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking anything. You see, God does this because he loves us. God didn't leave me in my iniquity. He didn't leave me there, but he saved me from that. And he set me free. And as he's continuing to work in my life, that I might be more and more like his son. See, we get that when we read now, when we read James, or when we read Peter, who said in this, in chapter one, verses six and seven, in this rejoice, 
Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the testing of tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to the result in the praise and the glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Apostle Paul, writing in Romans 5, said this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that our sufferings produce endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. God is dealing with the injustices by purifying and cleansing a people, both sorrows and joys to detach us from the love of other things that we might love him, that the vertical might be right. Why does he do this? Because he loves us. May we humble ourselves before God and give him our hearts, trusting him to sanctify us. Notice in verses three and four, he also says, then they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering will be pleasing to the Lord. That's when those offerings and those sacrifices mean something. It isn't just, oh, well, I gotta give something to God. Let me give something to God. Let me do the token. Let me just, well, you know, I serve God. He should be happy with that. No, the question is, what does God want to do with your heart? What does God want to do with your life? I mean, can you imagine a group of people in this room on fire for God, not held back by anything else? What could we do in a work, in a ministry? What can we do? Only God knows who thinks above and beyond what we could ever think or imagine is able to take a people who have given their hearts to him May God purify us and set us apart for his glories and purposes. In verse five, he says, then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the idolaters, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourners. There's a couple of things in this. There's warning and there's encouragement. First, the warning, guess what? My actions are seen. He sees your actions too. He sees them all. That's why it says a swift witness. God is seen. Our sins are never ignored. Injustices are there before God. He sees them. And the righteous God sees all of them. The sorcerer, the idolater, the one who oppresses the hired worker. On and on. He sees them all. And do you understand what the root of all of those are? It's right there in the text. Some of you that have been taking Bible study methods, look at the text. It's right there. At the root of all of these sins that are listed, what is it? At the very root, very last thing, what is it? They do not fear me. They do not fear me. Remember back early in Malachi when God says, how have you loved me? Where is my honor? Where is the fear? fear of the Lord. Back in chapter, chapter one, they do not fear me. God will judge and his judgment will be swift when it comes. And this is a, this is a warning. There's a couple of options. One, we humble ourselves and we surrender ourselves and we give our life to the Lord and we give our heart to him and we receive his grace, his mercy, his strength, his power in our life. Or secondly, we ignore it. And we cling to our ways and our purposes, 
our own purposes and we face the judgment at some point. It's coming. I don't like saying that. I'd rather just tell you all how great looking you are and how wonderful everything is. And we all go home and drink our tea and eat barbecue, you know, and then we'll all be happy, right? But the reality is God didn't call us just to eat barbecue, did he? He called us to be a people. The second aspect of this is there's an aspect whereby it's an encouragement, a major encouragement. Sin is, is going to be judged. God is going to purify. God is going to clear, uh, clean it all up. Horizontal injustices, they're going to be taken care of. There is going to be a dealing. And there, dear people of God, we need to take courage that the light afflictions of this time, of this place, are nothing compared to the glories that is ours in Christ Jesus when he comes. It's nothing. When Jesus comes and his glory is revealed, these difficulties will be nothing compared to that. God working in our lives. We need to be a people who stand firm in the grace and the knowledge and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That we stand firm because that day is coming. That day is coming and we will fall on our faces before the glory of our God in all humility and giving praise and thanksgiving for all that he has done. And all of these things that we're experiencing in this time will matter nothing in that moment when our God is revealed. See, I pray today, I pray that God would have his way with us. I pray the Lord would just be speaking to you. And I know that, I know some of you in here, there's been some injustices done in your life. I know that. And there's times where it's very difficult. But we're not a people that are just looking at the moment. We're a people that are looking at the eternity. And we know that God is sending his son. And we know that his God, that our God is able through his son, Jesus Christ, to refine and to purify and to cleanse us in Christ Jesus. And it's in him that we stand. It's in his righteousness that we find our peace and our comfort that we need. To him be the glory and the praise forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we just speak to us. Father, I know there's many different responses when we think about injustices. But I know that, Father, injustices go away that if all of us would walk after you, because we'll be a lot more walking in grace and faith, loving our brother and our sister. That, Father, it's how we are known that we belong to you and we would understand how you would work in our lives. So God, use us today. Speak to us that you may be glorified, that your son would be lifted up, and that, Father, all would speak of his greatness and his glory. To you be the glory forever and ever. Amen.